they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to the Bible with the Barbers. I've been bragging about this show on the Terry and Jesse show because we're going to talk about a biblical worldview on transgenderism. We're going to be talking about the book of Peter. And this show should help you fall deep in love with Jesus Christ through his word. So Mary Danielle, we've been talking about doing this show for a little while. And I'm just excited. And I know you've got some biblical verses. But again, I wanted to set the stage. Why are we talking about transgenderism? Well, because our culture has fallen into this postmodernism that says, if I believe something, then it must be true. But last time I looked, I can believe I'm six foot five, but I'm only five foot five. It doesn't work that way. And I think uh, it would be important for our listeners to have a biblical view on this topic. So I'm going to turn it over to you for that. All right. So we want to look at the reality of what God made and, and who is God? And this is one of the errors of our time is that, well, I can decide what reality is. Well, God is God and we are not. And God is the only one who can create something out of nothing. You know, there's the, the old joke about the guy is like, well, God, so you made a world so I can make things too. You know, I, I can make, I can make a, a world. And, and, and God says, okay, go ahead. And the guy starts gathering some dirt up and God says, wait a minute, go get your own dirt. Are we thinking about it? You know what, what all the materials we use to build things, sure, man create, builds things. He yep. can, you know, we create, we say, but we, to create, to actually create is to make something out of nothing. Yep. Man can't do that. Nope. You know, the angels, by the way, can't do that. The devil can't do that. Nope. So, you know, what is, what's going on in our culture? We, we have this, well, whatever you feel is true, that must be true. Yeah. So if you feel, and it's interesting because um, people are being pushed in this direction. Little children are being told at an early age, you know, to explore this possibility. And it's actually child abuse. Yeah, the government is encouraging it. You know, and, and that we've been told by psychiatrists and psychologists, and yes, grace builds on nature. So we need to know the natural level first. We need to know who we are as human beings and how we operate as a human being. And and um, little children often, you know, they say, oh, well, if a little girl is wanting to play baseball or, or you know, do, you know, play football or work out in the yard in the garden, she must be a boy at heart. You know, or if a boy wants to learn how to cook with his mom, he must be a girl at heart. And it's like, no, you know, my brothers grew up on the farm and my brothers, they worked in the fields. But you know what? They also learned how to cook in the kitchen. Yep. And no, they're not, that didn't make them. And we girls had to sometimes work outside. My older sisters, I wasn't on the farm, but we worked outside to do yard work and things. And, and yeah, I played baseball with my brother and I, our, my older brothers were older, older. So I didn't play baseball with them, but my younger brother and with his friends and stuff, we played baseball and whatever, mm -hmm. sure. but, but no, it, it women, it, you know, it, it is God who made man and woman. And it's real simple. You go back to Genesis and what does it say in Genesis? In the beginning, God made man. Yep. In his own image, he created him. Mm -hmm. Male and female, he created them. That's right. And what's interesting is God made man to be in relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. God created man 
you know, Adam had to discover. It's not, you know, you have the creation of man in the beginning in Genesis. And you have God creates man, and then man is there in the garden, and he names all the animals, but he doesn't find a suitable partner. So God puts a deep sleep on him and says, let us make a suitable partner for him. And God doesn't make another man. He makes a woman. Right. And the reason is is because there's a complementarity there. And man is supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. You see, God is not a solitude unto himself. He's a trinity of persons. That's right. He is, a, as, as Pope John Paul II said, he's the original family. He is Father, Son, and Holy mm. Spirit. He has fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of the family, which is love, within himself. And the human family is created in God's image. Now, God isn't male and female as he exists as God. He's pure spirit. Exactly. He has no body. Now, the second person of the Blessed Trinity did become man, and he took to himself a human body, and it was male. That, that's just fact. Jesus of Nazareth, he was a man. So, but human beings are made in God's image and we were made to live in a complementarity with one another, right. to work together to build family mm. because the family is supposed to image God and teach the world about how much God loves. Amen. And so there's this, there's this beautiful dynamic that's supposed to go on within a family is that disrupted? Well, yeah, we have this issue, right? Right. In the beginning, when God made Adam and Eve, it was easy for them to be good because he gave them a special gift called integrity. Exactly. So they had no problem. They didn't have concupiscence. They didn't have this war in their members where the flesh militated against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh yeah. because they had a special gift from God right. called integrity that put the intellect in charge. The intellect was made to know the true good. Yeah. The true good is God, the source of all good. The good we were made to choose is God. And and then our, our will would choose God because we would recognize that. And then all the faculties of our body would easily follow. Well, Adam and Eve decided through the temptation of Satan, mm-hmm. they let their trust in God die in their heart. Mm-hmm. God's keeping something from us, and we want to know what it is. (laughs) Funny thing. So they sinned, and when they sinned, they destroyed this integrity. And so then this beautiful complementarity that God made, this beautiful unity and harmony that God made was disrupted. Yes. And suddenly Adam and Eve noticed that they were naked. Why? Because they're no longer looking at each other as persons to be loved. They're looking at each other as objects to be used. And they sew fig leaves together for themselves. I always think it's ironic. They sold fig leaves. But what does it say? Loincloths. Mm-hmm. The original bikini. Right. Adam and Eve. You know, it's that old, people. And why was it? Be- well, they're trying to hide themselves. And God is the one who clothed them. Mm-hmm. He clothed them with animal skins. But, but what happens when, when they, have a, they have children and right away, what do you have? You have this disruption in the family. Cain kills Abel. Right. Abel is his brother. And why does he kill Abel? Because he's jealous of him. Abel is righteous, and so he has God's blessing. And Cain is angry because God is blessing Abel. Right. Well, Cain, just give up your sins. Mm-hmm. And that's this is what we're called to do. So we're not called to live according to how I feel. We're called to live according to the reality of what God has made. Right. And God made them male and female. And people, you know, sometimes argue about the scripture and its meanings, but... You know, it's in Genesis 19, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, it, and why did God, uh, because I, I think of that sometimes these modern scholars try to say that it wasn't because of the decadence of homosexuality. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it, it was because of homosexuality. Of course. 
they, you know, that God comes down, he tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, bar- he barters for it. He says, what if you find 10 good men there? God couldn't even find 10 good men in Sodom. Wow. He, and all there was was Lot and his wife and his two daughters. Hmm. That was it, four people. They were the only righteous Incredible. people in the city. And, and his two daughters were already engaged to be married to two men of Sodom. Oh. And and Lot and you know his wife they they Lot encourages his son his future son-in-laws you know to to come mm-hmm. and they won't go with him mm. so they got destroyed but the thing is when the angels come and they look like men but they're angels they come to Lot's house and Lot brings them into the house immediately they were going to sleep out in the square and Lot brings them into the house and the men of Sodom come and demand that Lot deliver these two men to them wow. so that they can abuse them sexually. Yes. It's real clear. Read the account. Yeah. And, and so Lot's like, no, no, I have two virgin daughters. I'll give them to you. You can do what you want to them. And, and, and no, no, we want the two men, that, the two men that came. Unbelievable. Well, the two men were angels. So they struck the men blind and they grabbed Lot and pull him back into the house because the men are going to tear Lot apart and come into yeah. the house. And of course, they're angels. So yeah. you know, but God, he he doesn't like this because it degrades us as human beings. And it's not just homosexuality; it's any sin. You know, if if you go on to read that in the New Testament, you have you know Romans one twenty six through twenty seven, one Corinthians six through nine, one Timothy one ten. But these passages all make it clear that adultery, fornication greed, theft, yet there are other, anything that we do that's sinful degrades us as human beings. And it makes us, it destroys within us the image of God. God is good. He is holy. He is beautiful. And things that degrade us, he doesn't like. And, And here's the deal. Most people, you know, as I said earlier, just because a little girl is a tomboy doesn't mean she's a boy. Right. You know, just because a little boy likes to cook with his mom in the kitchen doesn't mean He's not, that he's a woman. No, we are supposed to work together to build family. And the family comes from the complementarity, the sexual complementarity of male and female. Right. And that's what God created. God didn't create confusion. Where does homosexuality come from? Where does gender confusion come from? Well, actually, they've done a lot of studies. And Dr. Nicolosi and Dr. Cameron, they've done a lot. They've made a lot of progress in understanding that these things come from sinful abuse. Yep. So Dr. Cameron, the fir- any, any male whose first experience, two out of three boys, not any, two out of three boys whose first experience, sexual experiences with another male yeah. will have homosexual tendencies. That's how it works. Okay. And Dr. Nicolosi, any boy who's raised and doesn't have a strong father figure in his life will, will end up having homosexual tendencies. Yep. So you have this problem, and again and again, over and over, how many boys, you know, their father abandoned the family, and within weeks or months, they had some coach sexually molesting them. But we can overcome all this with God's grace. There's the possibility of healing. Amen. And for some people, it's just a matter of growing into maturity. Like the woman, her daughter was a teenager, and she said, well, I'm just a tomboy. Why don't I just, mom, just let me take the hormone therapy and transition to a boy. And her mother said, come back to me, you know, when you grow up in about five years. And five years later, the the girl had grown into her womanhood, and she accepted the fact that, you know what, I'm a woman. Of course. I love being a woman. Yep. Well said, Mary. Thanks again, folks. When we come back, we'll have more with the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I hope all of this is helping you become holy, because that's the whole point of this network, is to get you to heaven. 
stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. And Mary Danielle was just explaining the biblical view uh, regarding transgenderism. I think there's more from the book of Genesis and more on that. But I wanted to give a plug. August 22nd, Queenship of Mary. Here at the Sacred Heart Chapel, Father Wolfgang will be here to give three nights of missions, the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, on the work of the holy angels. And I just encourage everyone to come, learn about why it's important to collaborate with your angel on your road trip here to heaven. So keep that in mind. Mary, I know you have more to say on this topic of uh, the biblical view of transsexual. Genderism, transgenderism. Thank you. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people say, well, why is the Catholic Church so hung up on sex? I mean, what's the problem here? Why can't we just do whatever we want to do? Well, number one, we're made in God's image, and God created us with a specific purpose in mind, okay? Yep. Yep. And, and God, when he created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So that's Genesis 5.12. But our sexuality is not an appendage that we can cut off. Our sexuality is our gender identity. And by the way, it's in our DNA. That's right. You can change. There are, and there are people who have done this, who have gone through operations because they say, well, I feel like a woman, even though I'm a man. So biologically, I'm a man, but I'm going to change the external appearance. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Your DNA still says you're a man. <laughs> That's right. It's in your DNA. It's there. You can't change it. And it affects all the aspects of the human person. It affects us in the unity of our body and soul. Do we accept ourselves as who we are before God, as who God made us? We're gifts. God made us. He, our life is a gift. God gave us this gift of who we are. And our femininity or our masculinity is part of that gift. Yeah. So we're rejecting God's gift to us when we reject our femininity or, or our masculinity. Now, I'm... I'm not faulting people who have been molested, that they have this confusion, okay? But there are ways to help yourself to overcome the confusion. And 90% um, of all people who will enter into therapy, at least male homosexuals who have entered into therapy and stayed the course, have been able to realize that their masculine masculinity is, is good and beautiful and they accept it. Yeah. Now, some people are so hurt by the trauma they experienced, that they can never fully be healed to the point that they can overcome the tendency. But we're all called to live chastely, okay? I'm not a homosexual, but I'm a woman. And believe me, boy crazy from the age of six. I was going to get married when I was 18 and have eight. I was going to have 12 sets of twins. Boy, did my mother laugh at that idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know. I had no idea what it meant to take care of children, you know? <laughs> I just, but, but the deal is, is... I had to learn to wait to engage my sexual faculty in a conjugal way until I was married. We're all called to live a chaste life. This isn't just for homosexuals. This is for everyone. You know, marriage isn't a license to have sex. I remember in high school somebody saying that, well, marriage is just a license. No, it's not. Marriage is a covenant between two persons who commit themselves to each other for life in order to build a family, in order to image God in this world and to image the relationship between Christ and his church in this world and to bring up children in a godly manner. 
And so there's so much more. But our sexuality, again, is not an appendage we can cut off. It's part of who we are. And if we don't accept our sexuality, it actually causes problems within our human relationship with myself. I reject a part of myself. I hate a part of myself. No, I don't like that. And so it affects us. And, and because it affects us, it affects our ability to have bonds of communion with others. Mm-hmm. And so everyone, man and woman, should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. What you were born, you were born masculine or feminine. That's the way God made you. That's who you are. Physical, moral, and spiritual differences and complementary are oriented toward the good of marriage and the flourishing of the family. The harmony of the couple and of society depends in part on the way in which the complementarity needs and mutual support between the sexes, between men and women, as male and female are lived out. When they're lived out in the right way, the godly way, according to God's plan, then there's harmony in society. When you start breaking down the family, people become confused about who they are and what their purpose is in life, where they came from, where they're going to. And so there's so much here. And And it's, again... It's rooted in the dignity of the human person. You are beautiful and good. You are made in God's image as a person to be loved. And he made you either male or female. And if you don't accept that or can't see that right now, ask the Lord to help you to accept who he made you to be because who you are is a gift from God. And he gave it to you so that you can give yourself as a gift either to another in marriage or totally to him as a priest if you're a man, as a religious, if you're a woman, or even in consecrated lay living for men and women. Mm-hmm. But, but, but to give ourselves as gifts, we have to first accept ourselves as who we are and how we're recreated. That's a biblical worldview of who man and woman are. Thank you. Mary. Created in God's image. You know, Mary, thank you for that because, again, the world is trying to form us in a very selfish worldview meaning it's, it's only me, myself, and I. I call it the unholy trinity where we're worshiping ourselves. And it seems like the focus with a biblical worldview is it's about what God wants. And this is something that I'll share before you get into your uh, book of, a, of, of uh, Peter. Uh, I want to just say that the spiritual life really is all about self-abandonment. Right. It's all about giving yourself to Christ and letting Jesus do whatever his will is in your life and i think that's scary in a world that acts like oh no i have to take care of myself (laughs) i have to do it my way it's all about me right and you see this is really where uh it's meeting we've got the secular view be afraid you might die so we got to make sure you get vaxxed or you got to get this or you got to get that wear the mask and then you have that biblical view that says you know what as, as, as you know, I say it, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, I'd be a billionaire. The world doesn't scare me because I'm convinced that I'm in the arms of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I live in his presence. What else can stop me? Right. I mean, the worst thing they can do in this world is kill me. Right. But I actually believe in another world. Right. I am so convinced of it that I will spend the rest of my life telling people about Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, and that life is short and eternity is forever. Now I have the focus is off of me. Right. See, and I think that's why 
we're trying to convey to our listeners is that it's all about Jesus and nothing about us. Right. And, and, and the reality is, is it's all about Jesus and Jesus in his mercy and goodness mm-hmm. shares his life with us. When we were baptized, we received a share in God's life. And every time we receive a sacrament worthily, we receive an increase in a share in God's life. We will never become God. We will always be creature. But in heaven, we will see God face to face and we will become like him, for we shall see him as he is. Wow. And then we will mirror him and his beauty, his goodness, his truth, his power, his, his awesome grandeur. Yeah, no, I love it. Mary, you're just making me think of another point, and then we'll get to the book of Peter. <laughs> but I just... I, I, when I get inspired by our Protestant brothers, some of them are just so good and so biblical yeah. that I kind of say this because Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous German yes. theologian. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about forgiveness, but we have to also ask for mercy. Uh, he calls this cheap grace. And I think that also has something to do with it. People saying, well, don't worry, God will forgive you. Yeah. No, he said cheap grace is the preaching of the forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Wow. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Yeah. The The grace isn't cheap. No. I remember Father William saying, he said, look at the cross. The cross is the greatest proof that there is a hell. Yeah. Because if there weren't a hell, why would Jesus have gone through so much suffering unless there was something very terrible and yeah. very real from which he wanted to deliver us? But it's also the greatest manifestation of heaven Amen. because it shows what great love. You know, what is that song? What wondrous love is this? Mm-hmm. Oh, my soul, oh, yeah. my soul, yeah. which caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse yeah. for my soul. And no, grace isn't cheap. It comes at a great price. And if we're going to accept it, again, there's that commitment that, Lord, yes, I will live the commandments no matter how hard it is. And St. Paul said the sufferings of the moment are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. (laughs) And this brings us to Peter. I mean, it's so beautiful because it all ties together, doesn't it? It does. Peter, in chapter four of the first letter of Peter, he's talking about being good stewards of God's grace. And he talks about the fact that Christ really suffered in the flesh. And because Christ suffered in the flesh, we have to arm ourselves with the same thought. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Suffering wakes us up. Gets our attention. It gets our attention. As Bishop Sheen said, it's God's megaphone. He says, pain is God's megaphone. I love that line. To wake us up to say, look, pay attention. In the the reading from the book of Jeremiah today, where Jeremiah tells the people, look, God's going to punish you if you don't Mm -hmm. stop sinning. And so they, they, you know, the the priests and the prophets, you know, they they all grab him and say, you have to die. You have to die. You can't talk like this in the house of God. And it's like, no, yeah, God will punish it just like he punished Sodom and Gomorrah. But why? In order to correct us, in order to show us this is destroying you as a person. This is destroying the possibility of the happiness that I made for you. I have made a glory for you. I want to share my glory with you. But if you go on sinning, you can't have it. You need to give up the sin. So Peter tells us, he says, you know, says, let the time that is past suffice for doing what the Gentiles like to do. Living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, 
lawlessness, idolatry. You know, I remember once somebody said, where does it say in the Bible that drunkenness is a sin? There's several places it says it, but if you were looking for one, it's 1 Peter 4, um, verse 3 here. So this licentiousness, these passions, this drunkenness, these revels, these carousing and lawlessness and idolatry, this isn't going to lead to happiness. So now the people of the world, if we resist them, Peter says, um, they're surprised that, you know, because you used to be a pagan and now you're a Christian, so you won't do these things anymore but they will abuse you because of it. So are we surprised when the world is upset with us? Because what did it say? What, did, what does it say about our Lord and the gospel? You know, from the prophet Jeremiah, let us beset the just man because his way is obnoxious to us. He accuses us of violations of our training. He accuses us of not keeping the commandments of God. And your very life will accuse others. And they may abuse you violently. But what is our hope? Again, you and Doug Berry talked about that on the Terry and Jesse show. Hope. What is our hope? So we need to be strong, be good stewards of God's grace, and allow God's grace to flow in and through us to others. Stay with us, family. More with the Bible with the Barbers. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm listening. I hope you are too. Stay with us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 29th of July, 2022. And we are talking about being good stewards of God's grace. In the first part of the show, we talked about a biblical worldview of transgenderism and Um, how the church's teaching on sexuality is rooted in what God has made. And now we want to transition into, so how do we take that and apply it by being stewards of God's grace? And that is that we live by the Ten Commandments. We live by the commands that God gave us in obedience to God's law, and we may be persecuted for it. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of the things that, one of the troubles we have as Christians sometimes, we think, well, Jesus, you know, I've, I've heard this said, Jesus suffered, so I don't have to suffer. Well, Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. And all of our sufferings can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. Is that a biblical statement? Oh, yeah. Well, St. Paul says in Colossians, Mm -hmm. I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. So our sufferings can be united to Christ. So Peter goes on to say, and this is, you know, it's interesting because some scholars take these statements and they say, oh, you see, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, keep sane and sober for your... For this your is First Peter. Give us the verse, Mary. This is First Peter chapter 4, chapter verse four. 7. Got it. The end of all things is at hand. Well, again, this is a referral to the fact that the end of all ages came when Jesus Christ came on this earth and established the kingdom of God in his church. His church is the kingdom of God. It's not like, oh, Jesus came to establish the kingdom and we got the church. No, the church, the Catholic church, is the kingdom of God on earth. But we have to live as if we're living in the kingdom of God and not in this world. So this is the end of the age. That doesn't mean that the end of the world is coming immediately. And St. Peter didn't believe that. But you know what? It came for, a lot. It came for all of the people of that generation, didn't it? Mm. Many, of, most, many of them died martyrs. 
and all of the apostles except for John. And it's not that John, they didn't try and martyr John. They he, he just, God wouldn't let him die that way. They boiled him in oil yep. <laughs> and he didn't die. So they sent him out to pasture. They put him out to Patmos to, to be an exile on the island. So, of course, John had been at the foot of the cross. He had lived his martyrdom. He had stayed by Christ in his passion because he had gone to the Blessed Mother. Again, you know, sometimes scripture doesn't say things explicitly, but it shows us by example what we do. John was the only apostle who stood at the foot of the cross. Right. But he stood there with Mary. So, so this, a- a- again, above all, we have to hold unfailing love be unfailing in our love for one another since love covers a multitude of sin. That is true love. It's not, you know, in our world today, especially in English, we throw this world word around love. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I say I love something when I like it. And, and um, Bishop Sheen pointed out one time, he said, you know, be very careful what you love because you become like what you love. Right. So if you say, I love my dog, well, do you want to become like a dog? I love ice cream. Do you want to mm-hmm. become ice cream? Mm-hmm. You know, I love marshmallows. You want to become a marshmallow puff? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I like the created things of this world, and I can use the created things of this world as far as they help me to get closer to God. Right. But if they're interfering with my getting closer to God, I should I should be putting them aside. I can, I, my hope is on the eternal life to be with God in eternity. And if I have a firm hope, then I'm ordered able to mortify my flesh. Right. It's one of the things that the modern world has lost, and that is the the virtue of hope. Man. When I have a firm hope for heaven, I'm willing to give up everything of this world. It's like St. Paul said, the sufferings of the moment, they're nothing in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So St. Paul was willing to endure all of the sufferings in view of the hope. Even Jesus Christ, it says in the book of Hebrews, he endured the shame of the cross, mm-hmm. that he endured the pains of the cross, hateless of its shame, in view of the glory that would be revealed in him. We need to keep our eyes fixed on our hope. And what is our hope? Our hope is for union with God, eternal life. Yep. So we've received a gift from God. We're supposed to use that gift to serve our neighbor and to serve the church and especially our family, especially if we're called to marriage and family. We serve our family. So Peter goes on, you know, if, you, if, you're, a speak, if you're a speaker, okay, then you utter the oracles of God. If you render service, render it by the strength which God supplies. And then he goes on to talk about suffering as a Christian. Mm. Now, again, these pe- you know, some people think, well, because I'm Christian, I don't have to suffer, right? Because Jesus did it all. Well, he said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you to prove you as though something strange were happening to you. And, you know, it's interesting. The first thing that happens oftentimes in apostolate, when there's some kind of suffering, is people say, oh, the devil's out to destroy us. Really? Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you to prove you mm-hmm. as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If we are crucified with him, then we shall be raised with him. Let me jump in, Mary. This is a very good point for all of us today when nobody um, wants to be told that they're doing anything wrong. In other words, if eight people, if, if you're not being at odds with the culture, then you're not doing a very good job as a Christian. So right. this, this point about sharing in the sufferings, this is what the world, the devil, and the flesh 
we are uh, at odds with the world. If the world is with us, then we've compromised. Yeah. If the world is approving of us, then um, we got a problem going on. Big time. You know? And Peter says, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Okay? So, yeah, if we're doing what's right, and Jesus said this. <laughs> Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus said, if they have hated, remember when they hate you, that they hated me exactly. before you. Mm -hmm. So if they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they reject me, they're going to reject you. Don't expect acceptance from the world. Nope. That doesn't mean you don't preach the truth. You preach the truth, you preach the truth, you pre and you beg God. That's what we're here. We're all sinners. We're all in this together. It's not about, okay, God, come down and destroy all the bad people so all we good people can live in. No. We're, uh, Father William likes to point this out, too. He said, if God comes and destroys all the bad people, who's going to be left? <laughs> we are all sinners. That's right. You know, we all fall short of the glory of God. But by the grace of God, if we repent of our sins, God gives us mercy. And, and again, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, yeah. The gospel isn't about, oh, Jesus has forgiven us, and so I don't have to suffer, and I don't have to repent of my sins because God is so merciful. He's just, no, I need to confess my sins, and I need to repent. I need to change. I need to ask the Lord to live in and through me. And that means living a Christ-like life and a Christ-centered life. And Peter goes on to warn people, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or a wrongdoer or a mischief maker. <laughs> we shouldn't be in jail because we commit murder or thievery or where we're doing wrong and creating mischief in society. We're not, we're not here as Christians to stir up trouble. We're not deliberately going out there. By the way, this is, you know, we don't go out and start a war. We don't take up arms. Now, we can defend ourselves if someone's attacking us mm -hmm. with proportionate measures. That's we can defend again. ourselves. But, but we don't go out to start wars. Right. We're not trying to create mischief. We're not trying to create um, confusion and anarchy in society. That's not the Christian way. He says, but if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed because you will glorify God as suffering by suffering as a Christian. This is to the glory of God, even if the world doesn't see it. And it's interesting because it was the way Christians suffered in the first century. Mm -hmm. it, those Christians, number one, see how they love one another. Oh, yeah, that was powerful. And then when they went to the Colosseum and people were like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> These people are singing hymns of praise and the, the animals are attacking them or the gladiators are tearing them apart. And what's going on here? What's wrong with these people? What's, what's wrong with them? We want to know what they have. You know, it's kind of like Mother Teresa of Calcutta when she would pick up people out of the streets and she would love them. And then she would ask them, do you know Jesus? And they'd say, oh, Mother, is Jesus anything like you? And she'd say, no, no, but I try to be like him. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, mother, then we want to know him. Because <laughs> if, if you're just trying to be like him and he's better than you, we want to know him because you've shown us a love that we've never experienced before. What is this love? Right. This is the love of God poured out for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And we as Christians, this is what, and by the way, yes, to our enemies, to those who hurt us and persecute us, to those who treat us bad, even within our own family. We're supposed to forgive and pray for the conversion and the healing of our families so that when something has happened in our family that's causing division or dissension, we're supposed to beg God to help us to forgive the person or persons or ourselves even because maybe I misinterpreted what went on. Maybe I don't understand why somebody 
would have done something like what they did because I don't understand what they've suffered in life. And I don't understand the trauma they've been through. There's so much. There's so much we just don't know about each other. We're not God. But we can offer our sufferings and we can suffer like Christ. And it's interesting because we think, oh, it's easy. You know, I just say I'm, I, I call on the Lord Jesus and I'm saved, right? Well, it says, you know, we are members of the household of God and the judgment. This is the, this is the, Peter goes on to say, for the time has come for the judgment to begin with the household of God. We wonder why this church is going through so much suffering right now. God's judgment upon his church. Yep. You have not been faithful. And we can't point fingers. Every one of us who have sinned and, and, and offended God have contributed to the demise of the church. And each one of us needs to go. Go back and read Daniel 3 mm-hmm. and the prayer of Azariah in the furnace where he, he identifies himself with the sin of Israel, even though, in our view, he was righteous, okay? Yep. So we have to know that God's judgment has begun. It begins with the household of God. So it begins with the church, and it begins with us. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel if God is judging already, and this is how bad it looks? So if the righteous man is scarcely saved, Peter gives the quote, where will the impious and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will do right and entrust their souls to the faithful creator, to God. Mm-hmm. So don't be surprised when we go through the fiery ordeal. It seems like we're going through a fiery ordeal. You think? Let's unite that to the sufferings of Christ and do it for the love of God and offer all our sufferings in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. Great idea. Very biblical. Hey, this is the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. We have another segment with you. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with Barbers on this Friday, July the 29th, 2022. And we're talking about the letter to Peter, the first letter of Peter. And we were talking at the end of the the previous section about um, if the righteous man is scarcely saved, where where will the impious and the sinner appear? And that's a that's a quote from the Septuagint version of the um, book of Proverbs, Proverbs 11.31. And um, so... If we suffer according to God's will and do right and trust our souls to the to God Himself, that's who we. And again, it's not about you know um, once saved always saved. Christ warned us that there will be trials and tribulations. That's just Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He never promised to do away with suffering. We have to live in union with Him in the hope of our future life that our life is in heaven. God didn't make us for eternal happiness in this world. He made us for union with Him in heaven. So second, 1 Peter 5 talks, it's actually talking to the shepherds of the church. And again, we're supposed to pray, and Paul makes this clear in the book of Romans, we're supposed to pray for our political leaders. How much more for those who are raised up in the church? Are we praying and sacrificing for the Holy Father, for the bishops, for our priests? And I remember once, um, back in the day, we uh, a friend of Terry's, Gary Beard, he wrote a book called A Cup in Time. And in the beginning of the book, he has this... Um, 
Carpus, the priest to whom the miracle of Lanciano occurred, um, he, he takes Carpus on a time warp, and Carpus goes back to first century Gaul, where Longinus is the um, the centurion, and the, the, the man in charge of, of, he's actually more than a centurion, he's in charge of the whole army up in Gaul defending against the, the invaders. And he's watching the battle, and he realizes that one of his centurions has betrayed him. He can tell from the way the battle line broke. So he goes down with a handful of spears, and he rides into battle, and he's picking off the men who are barking out orders. He's not wasting his spears. He's only picking off the men barking because a foot soldier, if he doesn't have someone to, to give him commands, he doesn't know what to do. So he has to shore up this line and stop because otherwise the, the Roman legion that he's leading is going to be in great danger. So he stops that. And it, it just, I, I'm, I'm reading this and it was like, wow, it's like, this is what's happening. The devil is picking off our bishops and, and, and throwing, you know, and we're, we, the foot soldiers, when we see that our commander is in danger, we're supposed to put ourselves in the way we're supposed to be taking this. And I tried to explain this to somebody and they were like, oh no, 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 no. The bishops are the problem. And it's like, no, here's the problem. The problem is we need to sacrifice. And if, if, you know, Unjust rulers are a punishment from God, Cardinal Sin said. How much more so is that in the church? So yeah, the bishops, the Holy Father and the bishops, Peter exhorts them. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Tend the flock of God that is in your charge, not by constraint, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not as domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd is manifested, you will obtain the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We have to pray for the leaders in the church, that they will be humble. They're there as stewards of God's sacred trust. What is that sacred trust? Jesus Christ left to his church a sacred deposit of faith. The scriptures, the sacred tradition of the church, and the magisterium, the teaching office of the church. And this is a sacred trust. It's not for you know the popes and the bishops to decide in a new time and, and place that, well, we don't have to go with the past. We can do away with the past. You know, Vatican I and Vatican II made it very, very clear that the pope and the bishops in union with him are not arbiters of the sacred deposit of faith. They're the sacred guardians. Are we praying and sacrificing for them? Or have we done, as Terry said, well, I just want to go play golf. I just want to go shopping. Is this my modus operandi? I just want to have a comfortable life here in this world. And, and I can go to mass on Sunday and say some prayers here and there. And, and then I just want to get to heaven at the end. And, but I never really have to struggle. I never really have to sacrifice. I never really have to give, any, give up anything I don't want. I don't have to give up my own will. You know, I remember once you're arguing, arguing with a man about it's God's will that I have my own will. And that's true. God gave you for free will. And I, I acknowledge that God gave you free will. But why did he give you free will? Because he wants you to love. And how can you get to heaven? You can't on your own. 
You need God's help. We all need God's help to get to heaven. None of us can save ourselves. That's not within our capacity to do. We have to surrender ourselves to God. We have to surrender our will to God. And that's, what do we pray in the Our Father? The first three petitions, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh, but it's God's will that I have my will. It's God's will that I surrender my will to him so that he can mold me. You know, remember the reading yesterday from Jeremiah about the potter and the clay. And here's the potter. He's making this pottery and he doesn't like the way it turns out. So before it hardens, he crumbles it all up and he starts again. So is the clay supposed to say to the potter, I have my will and I'm going to be what I want to be. Now we can say that. And as long as we, you know, it's like that. Thomas Aquinas argued that because God gave you free will, if you knew for sure that you were called, let's say, to the priesthood, the man was called to the priesthood, but he wanted to get married, he could still save his soul as long as he remains faithful to his duties in state and life that he chose. He can choose to get married, but he has to remain faithful, and it's going to be much harder for him to get to heaven than if he had followed God's plan. And it's the same for a woman. What if, what if a woman knew that it was her vocation to be a, a religious sister, but she wanted to get married? She can still save her soul, but she will suffer many trials. And, and, and what, if, what if a woman wanted, knew she was called to marriage, but it's like, no, I, I don't want, you know, I, I want to be a sister instead. You know, God calls us each to a way of life. He calls us to a vocation. And priests and bishops and the Holy Father are called to be our fathers, our spiritual fathers. They're called to be Christ for us. And Christ sacrificed himself. I remember once Father Joe Shea was giving a sermon about vocation, and he said, he said, women, some of you think you want to marry, you know, marry a man who, who becomes a priest, or, you know, or you want to get married to a priest. By the way, the church has never, 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 never allowed her priests to marry. The church still does not allow her priests to marry. Even Anglicans don't allow their priests to marry. Once a married man has been ordained to the priesthood, he can never marry again without renouncing his priesthood, okay? Not even the Anglicans. And that's on the witness of an Anglican. I'm not an Anglican, but I had that on the witness. I had a professor in college who was, who was a former Anglican, and he became Catholic, and he gave up. He, he had been an Anglican priest. He gave up his priesthood to become Roman Catholic. But he made it, you know, if, if an Anglican seminary is in his senior year, he needs to get married before he's ordained a priest or he can never marry. We become a priest and he's not married. He can't ever marry. Okay. So the priesthood is, and, and Father Shea pointed to the cross and he said, how many of you women want your husband to look like that? But, but it's not just for, for you. I mean, yeah, a married man's supposed to crucif- allow himself to be crucified for his wife and his family. But this is for the church. You, if, if you marry a priest, your husband has to serve the church. And so, um, you know, it's... It's going to be really tough. Ask, ask married clergy how hard it is to serve their family and the church at the same time. The celibate priesthood was a, was a tradition from the beginning, but the priest is called, and we're all called to be humble. The priest is called to be the servant of the servants of God, and we're all servants. But in a special way, the priest is the servant of the servant of God, and he is the guardian and the safeguarder of the sacred deposit of faith. It's like Bishop Strickland said, you know, I I can't do anything but preach the truth that Jesus Christ revealed. I can't change the gospel. It's not within my power. 
no bishop has a right or, or the power to change the gospel. He may not preach the gospel. He may choose to do that, but that's not, he will suffer the consequence of that. His vocation is to preach the gospel and to bring us to the fullness of the truth of Christ. So we are supposed to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, God will exalt us. If we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us. We need to humble ourselves before God in this time and beg God to have mercy, have mercy on us. Remember, Peter tells us here, he says, stay sober and alert, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him solid in your faith. How are we going to remain solid in our faith unless we ask God for more faith every day? Prayer is the work of faith. Are we praying every day and not just once or twice a day? Pray always, Jesus exhorts us in the gospel. Pray always. We have to know that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you. To him be all dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. But that suffering has meaning. All of us who are suffering, your suffering has meaning. It has meaning in union with Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary, in reparation for the outrage, sacrilege, and indifference by which you, Jesus, are offended in the Blessed Sacrament. We have to pray. Pray, pray, pray for ourselves, for our priest. Prayer is the work of faith. Mortification is the work of hope. And almsgiving is the work of love. Faith, hope, and charity. In the end, there are three things that last. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But we have to ask God for these graces. And we have to beg God to help us bear the sufferings of the present moment. We're living in, in, in very confusing times where there are people at the highest levels of the church who seem to be preaching a gospel other than the gospel that's been preached. The church can't change the teachings of Jesus Christ. Sin is still sin. Adultery is still adultery. Homosexual acts are still grave offenses against God. Fornication is still fornication. Let us beg God for the grace to live according to the commandments he has given us, according to the dignity, our dignity as human persons, made in the image and likeness of God. We are beautiful and good, made in God's image as persons to be loved, and we are precious and dear to him. He loves us, he likes us, he desires us, and he delights in us. Let us give ourselves to God in hope and offer all of our sufferings in union with Jesus Christ to help redeem the world. Thank you, all of you who support Virgin Most Powerful Radio by listening, by your financial help, by your prayers, by your sufferings, in whatever way, by spreading the word. Let your friends and neighbors know, hey, we have a Catholic Bible study and it's free. Come on and join us. If you can make a donation, that's awesome. If you can't, that's not a problem. The Opus Angelorum is going to have a retreat at our chapel. I believe it's August 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And so we invite you to join us. And maybe it's the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. But look on our website. It's there. Thank you for joining us. Be back with us again next week. Please, God, on more with Virgin Most Powerful Radio.